For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled, Jesus, the Bread of Life. Mr. Grayson. In the book of Matthew, chapter 2, and in verse 1, it tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now Bethlehem means house of bread. See that in Unger's Bible Dictionary. Then in Luke chapter 2, in verse 7, Luke wrote, and she, that is Mary, brought forth her firstborn, her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Ma uh, I did say that right. Manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now this Greek word for manger is fatne. Which means a crib for fodder or grain. And this is from a word that, that means to eat. So Jesus was laid in a crib made for grain. The word also means a stall it also means a manger from which you know cattle were fed now we can tie this this word into the following scriptures in which we will see that Jesus is the bread of life in John chapter 6 see I have this is a uh, Scripture's a little out of order, Brian. John, John chapter 6. I want to start with verse uh, uh, 51, John chapter 6. And then we'll go back up to the uh, preceding verses. Jesus said, I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. Now this is his flesh. He's the Passover lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. Which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. Saying well how can this man give us flesh. His flesh to eat. And then said Jesus unto them truly. I say unto you. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of of man and drink his blood you have no life in you whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day so during the Passover during the Last Supper we partook of the wine and the bread which symbolized his sacrifice for his giving of his life that we might live and so we know that this Believing in that, trusting in that, looking in that is going to lead us to eternal life. And it says, I will raise him up at the last day if we accept his sacrifice and all that he has done for us. For my flesh is meat indeed. It's food indeed. You know what food is. It's, it's something that keeps us alive. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. My flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. And as the living father has sent me and I live by the father. 
So he that eats me, even he shall live by me. You remember that Jesus said to Peter uh, when uh, Christ was going to wash your feet that Peter uh, resisted. He didn't want his Lord to wash his feet. And then Christ said to him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. So we have to allow the spirit of Jesus Christ into our life to guide us through this life and to cleanse us whenever we need cleansing as we walk through the corruption that is in this world. So Christ will do his part. We have to do our part and partake of his work. Jesus is our daily bread of life. Today when we look around the world, we look at the world around us, we see all sorts of corruption, violence, things that are contrary to the ways of God. We see a lot of hatred and not love. We see sickness and disease and lasciviousness and offensive uh, conduct and behaviors, corruption and greed, so on and so on. Things that all cause sorrow or pain or heartache, things that affect our life directly and sometimes indirectly. So we see the leaven of sin. Maybe in our own neighborhood, maybe in our town, maybe in our city, you know, wherever people gather, we may feel uh, safe. But as we have seen the last few weeks, last few days, that Christians are really not safe even in their own church buildings. Neither among some Sabbath keepers, as, as we saw many, uh, saw some years ago, or in schools, or in malls, or in places where people gather. Nor are the people who are, attend Muslim churches, or of the Jewish faith, or other beliefs. There is all that, so much leaven in the world, so much sin and wickedness in the world, that you never know, you're not really safe. But we know that we have to put our trust in the Lord Jesus, in God, that he can get us through uh, this age. Now, as some have noted, and I've heard this said, that it is becoming dangerous to be, to even be a Christian. To even talk about your beliefs that we have in being a Christian. Now, today we come to the end of the days of unleavened bread. You know, seven is a number of completion. And some of us may be, you know, looking like mentioned earlier, like Doyle mentioned earlier, looking to sunset and, uh, you know, going down to the hamburger stand and, and getting that uh, craving fulfilled like I am. And <laughs> but it's been 46 years since my wife and I first learned of what unleavened bread uh, was. And at that time, in those early days, it was called, referred to as the bread of affliction. And so it was. But so for a time, it really wasn't something that we look forward to, eating, you know, crunchy bread all week. And so in a way, it was an affliction. But today, I find it not so bad. I can take a matzo, rub some butter on it, sprinkle some salt, some pepper on it, and eat it just like chips, and it's gone you know, box is gone in, in a day. But it seems to me, and probably to some of you, that these days have gone by pretty fast. You know, time, they say, as you get older, it just start, starts going by. And just a few more hours, these days of unleavened, unleavened bread will be completed. But we know that it is just the beginning of the holy days that are to come. 
Now we know that the focus of all the holy days is Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, and that each holy day shows God's plan of salvation. And we do certain things during those holy days to remind us something that we can see that we, that's tangible for us. That we can see the spiritual side of, uh, of what all those material things mean. Now, this knowledge that we have has been shown to us over the years. And we have grown in grace and knowledge in many of those areas. And, but yet, we're still reminded year to year for, that, uh, for the purpose of why we are here and why we celebrate the days of unleavened bread. So we know that these, the days of unleavened bread are, to, are called for us to come out of spiritual bondage. That is, you know, the transgression of the law of God as listed in the Ten Commandments. And we cast out leaven to remind us that, you know, sin is everywhere. Some unseen. But Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And that is our focus. That he is the bread of life. Now over in John. As I mentioned earlier. Verse, uh, chapter 6 and verse 27. Starting there above. Here's what Jesus said. In verse 27. He said to labor not for the meat that perishes. But for that meat which endures unto everlasting life. Which the son of man shall give unto you. For him has God the father sealed. So he said this. He, he was saying this to the people that were, that were following him. And he said to them, you seek me because you saw the miracles. But because you did eat of the loaves and you were filled. They were after that physical food. Then said they unto him, well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and he said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him. So if you want to know what the work of God is all about, it's this, that you believe on him whom God has sent. So we see through his miracles, through his words, through his teachings, those, uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ, that they are all meant for us to be led into a stronger belief in our Savior. In verse 30, they said, therefore, to him, what sign show you then? That we may see and believe you. What do you work? And they said our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them. Truly I say unto you. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, that, is he which comes down from heaven. And gives life unto the world. So Jesus you know was sent. He was sent into the world. As the bread of life. And Jesus said unto them. I am that bread of life. He that comes to me. Shall never hunger. And he that believes on me. Shall never thirst. So the bread of life. Of which Jesus speaks is spiritual. And eternal life. It means eternal life. And that he is a source of that nourishment, of that food. Now in this life we know that we're going to hunger. That we're going to thirst because we're physical. And we need the physical uh, food. The things that God has blessed this earth with that we may, can partake of. 
But he has also given us a spiritual food that we must imbibe of. Just as physical food keeps us alive, so does the bread of life that Christ gives. And we know that, you know, without food or without water for a long, any length of time, we'll starve to death. And we know that. And our bodies tell us when it's time that we need nourishment. And that we, sometimes in our life, we also have this need that we need spiritual nourishment. It comes about sometime during a trial or, or during some point in our life where we might feel empty that we need to fill our hearts up with spiritual hope. John chapter 4, verse, uh, starting verse 5. Then came he, that's Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied in his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You know, they were at odds with one another. They didn't like each other. They were different. Verse 10, And Jesus answered, said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you uh, living water. You know, we read in, uh, elsewhere in other scriptures where it says that the Holy Spirit is a gift. And this is what Christ is talking about. As the living water. In verse 11. So the woman said unto him. Sir you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence have you. That living water. So she saw in this water. A little something different. That of you know physical. Earthly water. The kind of water that we all need. But Christ was speaking of spiritual water. When I was uh, younger. As a matter of fact. When I was between the age of one and seven. We had a well that was about 30 or 40 yards away. Down this path. And that's where we got our water. And so when I hear the word well. I think about the time when I grew up. Not far from the well. And to me that meant a bucket of clear water. And uh, we used a pail that, you know, had uh, Mrs. Tucker's lard bucket on the, uh, on the side. But you peek down into that, and it's very clear, and it looked very refreshing. And that water, I used to drink a lot of water. Nowadays, I drink a lot of pop and other things. But that water, that well, I can, in my own mind, sometimes think I can hear that squeaky pulley, knowing that either... My mother or my father was down there drawing water up from the well for our, our refreshment. And that well is still there, but it's, you know, the stones have uh, caved in, and it's just not a safe place. But it's there on the property where we used to live many years ago. So I have drank well water before. Now we get it out of our tap. And water's not the same as it used to be, it seems like, as, as, you, as they say. But anyway, to continue, I digress. 
Verse 12, the Samaritans said, Are you greater than our father Jacob, which, gives, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered, said unto her, Whosoever drinks of the water, of this water, shall thirst again. And this is the water that the, the, the Samaritan understood. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. So he's speaking of the water, of the Holy Spirit that is springing up within a person who has that spirit of God. And so the woman said unto him, well, sir, give me this water that I thirst not neither come here to draw. So these words tells us of a time that is coming when those physical things that we are so used to in this age, in this world, will not be needed because we will have everlasting life. We will be given spiritual bodies. And this is what that Spirit of God will do. So we know that in this age, physical food gives us energy. It gives us, it keeps our minds and our bodies well. But on the spiritual side also, we must feed on the word of God. Follow his example, believing in Jesus Christ. After all, he did say, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the seven days of unleavened bread that we are completing today, they symbolize a complete breaking from the life of sin. And it shows our obedience to the word of God. Ever how many years we may uh, God gives us on this good earth and so we're reminded of this when we partake of the unleavened bread in Mark chapter 7 and verse beginning verse 14 when he had called all the people unto him he said unto them hearken unto me every one of you and understand think about what you hear think about those words that he expresses Verse 15, there is nothing from without a man or outside a man that enter into him can defile, that is profane, profane him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. So when you see uh, uh, the profanity or uh, the uh, bad speaking that we see going on in this world of ours, those are defiling things. Now he says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the, from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without enters into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it enters not into his heart, but into the belly, and goes out into the draw, purging all uh, meats that is all food and he said that which comes out of the man that defiles the person profanes the man for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders thefts covetousness deceit lasciviousness an evil eye blasphemy pride foolishness and all those other things that can profane a person. All these things come from within the mind and the heart of man. And they defile. And so we know as these days 
have told us that leaven is a type of sin. It's like breadcrumbs. It's, it's everywhere. And a Christian cannot hold on to sinful ways. But he must cast it out whenever he comes across it. With God's strength and direction. I was reaching into my pocket moments ago. And I felt this grit. In my, in my right hand pocket. And uh, still there. Which tells me, you know, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we look or examine ourselves, we're bound to come across leaven that we forgot to cast out. There's going to be leaven in our life. And that's why we have Jesus Christ who died for us to give us his life and to forgive us that we might live. So we have to have God's strength. We have to have God's direction. We have to have God's forgiveness and his mercy and understanding that we are but flesh. Now in the book of Matthew, we also see that leaven is figurative of corrupt teaching. Matthew chapter 6. When his disciples in verse 5 were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O you of little faith, why reason you among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets ye took up. Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets ye took up. How is it that you do not understand that I spoke it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, you know, that's the physical bread, the crumbs and so on, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees, because those things can be so subtle, so unseen, and can... A sneak upon you. And that's what the days of unleavened bread remind us of. That sin like leaven is to be avoided. False ways, false doctrines, false religions and so on. On to uh, Matthew 23. Verse 23. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted but have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Talking about the law of love. Like judgment and mercy and faith. These ought you to have done. But not to leave the other undone. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter. But within they are full of extortion and excess. Several times in this chapter here in Matthew, he calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites and woe unto them. And even though this, this phrase or this thought, these words are directed toward these scribes and Pharisees, you know, these words can cover quite a large area. Our leaders and government and people of influence in our society who think they're doing the right thing but are not. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. So 
Cleaning starts within the mind. It starts within the heart. Change begins on the inside. And again he says in verse 27. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like unto whitey sepulchres. Which indeed appear beautiful outward. But are within full of dead men's bows. And of all uncleanness. Says the same thing in verse 29. I'm not going to read all of this. So we have to be careful that we are not also hypocrites. Only we can judge for ourselves. And sometimes along the way, God will remind us, you know, you're being a little hypocritical when you said that or did this. We all experience that at times. But let's go to Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with, greed, with greediness. But you have not so learned of Christ. If so be that you have heard him. And have been taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation. The old man. Which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed. In the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness. And true holiness. So these days that we're about to complete are reminders of the things that we are to do and be mindful of as we continue in, in life's journey. Verse 25, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be you angry, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Sometimes in a weakened state, sometimes in a, a, in a little a fit of anger or hatred or madness because somebody may cut us off on the road, we become wrathful and we start to give place to the devil. How many times have we heard of road rages that happen? In verse 28, let him that steal, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use, to the use of edifying, that it may minister unto the hearer, minister grace unto the hearers. So the days of unleavened bread remind us of a bunch of things. It reminds us that we have a future that is still. Uh, coming that we still have to face tomorrow next week next month next year and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God which you are sealed unto the day of redemption and how many times you know can I look back and say um, my own self that I should have listened to the Holy Spirit I should have not done what I have done but sometimes we just put off the Holy Spirit for a time and before you know it, we run into trouble but grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. When it starts, to, 
this little voice starts to penetrate your thinking, your mind, and your heart to not give in uh, to the devil. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So it's important that we let go of sinful ways in thoughts and in deeds. But we know that any victory that we may have casting out of sin, it cannot be done without the help of Christ or the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God that is in us. Ephesians chapter 5. Be you therefore followers of God as dear children. That means we are to love God, to love Christ, to be obedient, as knowing that we are his children, therefore to be followers of God. Verse 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. This you know, no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon children of disobedience. Not upon the children of obedience, but upon the children of disobedience. So be not you therefore partakers with them. Drop down to verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not in wise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But be filled with the Spirit instead. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual uh, songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always. And verse 21 Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Why all of this? All of these things that we have come across here in these scriptures. Why? Do we see all of these things that we, that we can be doing and casting out leaven in our life? It's because Christ loves the church. He loves you. He loves me. And he gave himself for you. And he gave himself for me. And he gave himself for the whole world. In hopes that they will come to understand what he has done as a sweet-smelling savor to God. That he might present it, that is the church, that is us, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish and without breadcrumbs in the pocket. It takes solace in the fact that it says there is none perfect, there is none righteous, all have sinned, 
come short of the glory of God. But Christ expects his people, that is his church, to be in the process of becoming truly unleavened. In the letters that the uh, Apostle Paul wrote <coughs> to the church, it was the Corinthian church that received the most letters. Corinthia, Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. People came from everywhere, all around. They brought customs. They brought their own religious beliefs and their own ideas. And so they had uh, a lot of influence on, on the saints that, at Corinth. But these saints were called by God to come out of that society. And they had much to give up and overcome in following Christ because they were in bondage. But God called them out to Jesus. Still, some did not let go of everything. They did not let go of every bit of leaven that was in their life. And Paul knew that if they weren't paying attention to how they lived, that it wouldn't take much to go back under the influence of the sins in the society that is around them. Some of us came out of perhaps similar situations. Yet we see that in Christ Jesus, <clears throat> that we, like those at Corinth, are set apart as saints. That we are sanctified as saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this, this chapter has 16, uh, this book has 16 chapters and they have to do with a variety of subjects. They're going to uh, go into all of those. But he wrote unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, saying to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So in those uh, words, we see that we are sanctified in Christ Jesus and that we are called to be saints. With all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the authority, by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been declared unto me, my brethren, by them which are of the house of cloth, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you say, I'm a Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. There were four factions that were leading to divisions among the church, to which was going to break apart the church if they weren't given something to think about. Now, according to some studies of that time, Apparently, there was a spirit of independent thinking which was strongly emphasized by uh, the Greek culture that held an influence on the church. So they spoke freely. They acted freely and independently, not considering that their words were divisive. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And so he points to them that the focus should be on Jesus Christ, that we should seek his will and avoid sowing dis discord. We know that there was another serious problem, 1 Corinthians 5, 
won't uh, uh, go into that, but except to say in, down in uh, verse 7 that we are to purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 5. That you may be a new lump. So as we complete, you know, the feast of unleavened bread, are we a new lump? Are we a better lump? Even as you are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Verse 8, therefore, he says, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity, meaning clearness or purity and truth. So let us keep the feast, he said. Literally, let us go on keeping the feast. From that time until now, we still keep the feast. And the Apostle Paul uh, wrote, he wrote to them, saying to them to be in the right frame of mind, have the right attitude before the Passover, and before the return of Christ. You do show the Lord's death till he come. So we have to continue to be in that state of mind, examining ourselves at least every now and then to see if there's something in our life that needs to be cast out. Though the Feast of Unleavened Bread ends today, the casting out of sin pictured by leavening is still an ongoing observance. It's a life of examining you know, self and overcoming the sins that easily beset us and to purge out the uh, old leaven to be a new lump. Curiously, there are seven days of unleavened bread and just like in the book of Revelation, there are seven uh, letters or seven uh, messages revealing leaven unto certain of those churches. And there is a call to come, to overcome, that they may have a right to the tree of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, I was talking about how, you know, things in our culture, things in our society kind of, you know, slip into your mind. There's always something slipping into my mind. Uh, I, I'm reminded, and I, a little discourse here. But beginning word in verse 19, what? Does that remind you of anything? What? It's a commercial. The man who's getting ready to steal from this one guy, and he sees it on his, 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 uh, his alarm, and he expresses that, what? What? The big question, what? But you see how sometimes things filter into our mind that really has no part. It does me sometimes. And sometimes I forget that I am bought with a price. That God gave his life, gave his son, that I might live and that I should do everything in my body and in my spirit because they are God's. Now we all hunger and thirst at times for spiritual food. You know, like comfort food. I think about mashed potatoes and gravy, and fried chicken and biscuits and butter and 
cheese, <laughs> comfort food, maybe like pizza, stuff like that. Because, you know, in life we have trials and we kind of, we, we start eating things that, you know, kind of make us forget a little while. But in life we often have trials, we have troubles, we have all sorts of problems, we have pain and sickness and sorrows, fears and burdens that come upon us from time to time. Because we know that Christ said in this life you shall have tribulation. But he also said be of good cheer. That he has overcome the world. But be of good cheer. Don't let things get you down. There's a poet who said. I forgot to write her name down. But she said even the frailest hope is better than despair. So we have to enlarge our hope. And whatever uh, thing is in despair. We just got to cast that out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we all need positives, don't we? And he is the vine, we are the branches, and if we remain in him, we can overcome. So we put our trust in him to see us through any situation. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm almost done here, trying to make the uh, 45 minute mark. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we have a race. We have a course that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. John chapter 6. Verse 44. Jesus said. He said this. He said no man can come to me. Except the father. Which has sent me. Draw him. And I will raise him up. At the last day. It is written. <coughs> in the prophets. And they shall all be all taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, except he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Verily I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. We are the product of the works of God. That product in which leads us to believe. In God and in eternal life through the love of God the Father and the Holy Spirit that we have. Verse 47. Verily I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am, verse 48, I am that bread of life, he said. And he will give us living water. <clears throat> 